Hello Internet, Sean here, Dungeon Master of GGK's newest show, Lords of Misrule. Just a brief interruption at the beginning of this program to clue you in on the schedule for the Lords of Misrule podcast. Lords of Misrule is a real play, live, D&D stream broadcast every other Saturday at 3pm Eastern Time on twitch.tv forward slash game nights. You can watch us live on Twitch, or if you need your misrule fix but you can't find the time to join us live, you can listen to full, uncut audio of our program via CastBox. We're going to try to get some up on iTunes, so keep an eye on our Twitter for updates. Each episode will be released in two parts for your listening convenience every other Sunday, following the most recent live stream, barring any complications. So sit back, grab a drink, or pretend to look busy at work, and enjoy the game. Shadows stretch like black swords over a hill patched work with mud and torn grass. Cast out from the ruins of a kingdom long buried in the fetid bogs at the fork of a grand river. The smallest sliver of sunlight vanishes beyond the western horizon as a bruised and spotted night sky blankets the world. The stench of decay stirs with the breeze, rising up from the hundreds of armored and rotting bodies cast throughout the valley like leaves. The patter of small leather wings breaks the silence as a bat glides down towards the hilltop, its path jagged and uncertain. The moment before it reaches the earth, it contorts, pulling the shadows toward it, towards it, which bend and snap into arms, legs, fingers, and shimmering crimson eyes. The man falls to one knee, catching himself with a broken spear. He pants with ragged breath, looking out towards the last remnants of daylight. Pushing strands of long black hair from his vision, he spits a globule of blood into the dirt and begins to stand. A whistle cuts the air, as the glistening silver point of an arrow protrudes from the man's chest and he falters, falling to both knees. He begins to turn and raise his broken spear when a second arrow catches him in the arm. He screams, dropping the spear. His face contorts from anguish to rage as he bears two silver fangs and hisses, two ivory fangs and hisses. Traitors, you will suffer! His words are cut short by a snarl as a mass of gray fur and muscle collides with him from behind. He gurgles his last syllable before his throat is torn, blood cast once more into the dirt. The beast stands, but as it does, it seems to shrink. And as it takes to its feet, a woman looks down to the body of the vampire as it rapidly decays. She wipes the gore from her mouth and smiles. I didn't catch that last part, sweetie. Mind repeating it. She looks back down the hill over her shoulder. Sorry, boys, you missed the fun. Two figures stand behind her. 
A tall, wiry man, bald with intricate tattooed script coating his skin, wearing black robes accented by swirling emerald pattern, stands behind a towering figure of crimson flame wearing golden armor. The Afridi grins from under smoldering white eyes. He barks in a strange tongue which seems to resonate with the air. Ifiri nok fulcha iskarla. The woman cocks an eyebrow and looks to the mage. He says you seem to be having enough fun for the four of us. The werewolf kicks the desiccated remains of the vampire, causing the withering husk to disintegrate and scatter across the grass. She freezes for a moment, the hairs on the back of her neck standing on end, and she reflexively lets out a low growl. Edward, Solomon, Maria, glad to see you survived. Standing among the three without any sign of his arrival stands a man wholly unremarkable, with the exception of a set of ebony horns protruding from his brow and following the contours of his scalp back along his skull before hooking upwards, and a set of cat-like pupils set into two golden eyes. Edward Calvert, the slendered mage, smiles and bows his head. Lord Mephistos. The devil smiles. And where have you been, Faust? glares Maria Lycaean. Same as yourselves, fulfilling my end of our bargain. He wipes the dagger he holds in his left hand on his sleeve, leaving a glistening trail of blood. So, it's done then? asks Edward. Solomon Paracelsus echoes the wizard's sentiment in his alien tongue. Yes, my friends. Faust casts an eye out over the battlefield. The Draconisi and the, rem- and the remnants of the vampire have fled. The rest have surrendered in obedience. Or death. And the Empire believes themselves the victors. Oh, you should see the proclamation of the king. Simply moving. The four share a long, uncomfortable silence as a crow swoops low overhead to scavenge the gory treasures of the fallen. The devil reaches under his robe and withdraws a furled scroll. The rest of our agreement, inquires Maria. In its entirety, he gestures out to the surrounding land. The foundations of our new kingdom, built atop the bones of the vanquished and forgotten. We shall divide it as we see fit, cultivate it, and reap the fruit born of mortal's labor in perpetuity. He unrolls the parchment and reads. We, the four, gather as one, intertwined amidst the power of the root, our reverence, that another's blood we shall we not spill, lest our own run eternal. He waves his hand in a circular motion, sarcastically. So on and so forth. Now, place your mark, and the covenant is struck. One after another, they each mark the parchment, beginning with the mage, Edward Calvert. I'm very much looking forward to the further wonders we shall produce, my lord. Faust gives a deep bow, right arm clutched to his chest and left arm outstretched. Edward bows his head in respect and steps back. The Afriti king Solomon Paracelsus lumbers forward, snatches the parchment roughly from the hands of the archdevil, and with force enough to tear through the page, scrawls his mark. Faust maintains his smile as he smooths out the new creases in the paper. Last, Maria Lycan steps forth and hesitates with her quill a fraction above the page. She looks up and locks eyes with Faust. The undead scourge remains exiled. 
She glares at the fiend with a primal ferocity, her eyes blazing with a silver sheen. Faust maintains his pleasant demeanor. Of course, those are the terms, he states with somber intent. The wolf signs the parchment, and Faust soon to follow. Witnessed by us four, and never to be broken, the covenant of the root is forged, and from this root, our kingdom shall grow. Gothford. The four vanish in mist as the land shifts and changes with the passage of time. Decades pass. A kingdom grows in their place, flying the flag of the empire. Cobblestone unfurls across the marshlands as the buildings multiply, sprouting from the ground like fungus. Stone and wood are shaped into glass and steel, which rocket towards the heavens at dizzying heights, until a kingdom becomes a city. Skyscrapers and black paved streets woven across the land by the loom of mortal ingenuity. Trains race across the countryside, and the rumble of the river drowns in the roar of engine as carts, cars dart along the city streets like roaches. Thousands and thousands take to the city, which grows to unparalleled size and sophistication at an astonishing rate. A glistening rose of the empire rotted at its roots. Our story begins within this city. A bleak stone interior, humid, with fungal patches in the corners of the chamber. There are sets of iron bars that section off four holding cells. A faint murmur of conversation and the clattering of dice against stone a Duragar inmate was able to smuggle into the cell, Lord knows how, that he shares with four others as they place wagers in hushed tones. We focus on the back left cell, where a motley crew of individuals sit, stand, and wait. So, I'm going to have you each describe your character in turn uh, and answering the four, uh, these four questions. Uh, what are they doing at this moment? What do they look like? Why are they here? And how well the rest, do you know the rest of your fellow inmates? And I'd like to go ahead and start with uh, just drawing from left to right uh, on my screen. Uh, it's going to start with Pilar. So... Pilar is probably sitting on whatever passes for something to sit on. Like maybe if there's like, if this is supposed to be a cell for one person, if there's one cot, she's sitting on it. Like probably one leg crossed over the other, like looking very out of place, alternating between like kind of looking around, kind of skittish and just like really keeping a really close eye on everyone else around, like especially in the next cells. Um, she is a half elf, long, very red hair, despite um, her darker olive complexion. Um, she probably is like occasionally like, trying to fix her makeup from where she was like crying earlier when she got arrested. Uh, probably got arrested for proximity to a bar fight. Like also because she tried to like fast talk the cops. They're like, this isn't a big deal. You should leave us alone. They're like, all right, you're coming too. Is basically why she's there. Um, she is very short but very pretty. Uh, she's literally like, I think five foot or five two. Um, so very, very small. Um, 
and she knows most of the people in this cell, particularly the scuffed up half-elf dude nearby, and um, a pale woman who's probably looking very prim, I assume. Yeah, pretty much everyone. Actually, she knows everyone here. I think, and I think that's pretty much canon that all of you know each other in passing, at least. Um, but okay, so uh, and actually brings us to the half elf that uh, you mentioned, uh, Sebastian. Yep. So Sebastian shares a lot of visual similarities to his cousin, at least in, as far as you know, skin tone. His hair is just brown, kind of, uh, kind of shaggy, unkempt. Um, his face is a mess right now because he was in the thick of things in the aforementioned bar fight. He's probably trying to hold his nose, make sure it's uh, it's probably a little broken or did get broken and got healed after the fight and is just looking like a mess. But at the same time, he says the biggest shitty eating grin because he always loves a good fight. Um, so yeah, obviously knows his cousin Pilar very well. Um, uh, also knows the pale one, uh, the tall one, um, and knows the other ones in passing as well. Uh, and what's he doing right now, aside from just nursing his um, his injuries? Uh, he's probably just quietly muttering a prayer, something to a whole litany of gods. All right. Um... And the companion, who I assume is uh, pretty close to them as well, uh, Cordelia. Oh, yes, the pale one. (laughs) The pale one. Uh, Yes, so uh, Cordelia um, is probably hanging out right near Pilar and Sebastian, um, probably leaning against a wall, just looking like the coolest person you've ever seen in your life, basically. Um, I think she occasionally will, like, straighten her suit that she wears and try to get the dust off of it Um, and then eventually when there's nothing else for her to do um, if she's managed to somehow keep a hold of her set of playing cards she'll like take them out and shuffle them Um, but yeah Cordelia is uh, taller not as tall as some of our other friends in the room Um, very slim very pale Um, she has very long kind of pitch black silky hair that she has tied up in this really fancy kind of updo Um, she has these dark, dark kind of almost crimson red eyes and she's super stylish. Um, she's always usually for the most part wearing like a pinstripe suit and pumps. Um, yeah, I feel like there was something else. Uh, how well I, you know oh yeah, how well I know everyone else. Um, I think she sticks close to, uh, Pilar and Sebastian, but we'll greet everyone else, um, because she's at least worked with them before. Um, And I don't know that it is 100% clear how she got here, because there was definitely a bar fight, and she was definitely there, but she doesn't look like it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Enza. There you go. Sorry. Uh, Let's see. Enza is... Uh, a very tall, very strong, broad-shouldered, uh, orcish, half-orcish woman. Um, let's see. Her hair is sort of done in these cornrows and sort of, like, pulled back out of the way. Um, 
and she's probably wearing uh, a very uh, heavy, thick, uh, like, overcoat um, over what looks like some just, like, regular slacks. Um, and uh, let's see. How did she get here? She's probably just looks real pissed right now. Um, she had been pursuing one of her marks and got spotted and got the call the cops on her um, for stalking (laughs) is what the person claimed but she was trying to reap a bounty on said person Uh, and so she's kind of very frustrated that she's wasting her time here Um, but she does know uh, Pilar very well and uh, Seb quite a bit and is confused to see them both here in the same room. All right. Uh, Hogarth. Uh, Well, Hogarth is one of the bigger ones of the group, standing at about 6'6". Messy black hair, sort of yellowish skin looks kind of unhealthy but is like very large um but not like muscular large just like takes up a lot of space um and has these sort of sunken in eyes that they're they're almost like looking into an abyss with something staring back and they are sitting in the room, probably in a corner somewhere, just hands clasped together, elbows on knees, just waiting. And they got caught uh, squatting, was not involved in this fight whatsoever, uh, but is currently being held because they uh, they got caught squatting and then um, Hogarth knows Cordelia pretty you know pretty much everyone but Cordelia mostly uh, and is aware of the others okay uh, and last but certainly not least Clove Clove is a the tallest of the group. Clove is an imposing seven foot seven hulk of a person. They are, uh, you know, they're, they're muscular, but there's a little bit of fat and stuff around their body, so they're not completely trim, but they're, you know, not cut either. Um, they are, they have a short, um, dark auburn bob that's covered by a lovely, um, turban that has a jewel right here and they've got slate grayish skin beautiful kind yellow eyes and they're probably just kind of hunched a little bit because i'm assuming the cell is not huge um leaned over leaning against the bars waiting for someone a guard to come by so she can they can talk their way out of and their friends out of this situation um they uh may or may not run the bar where the bar fight took place if that's what we call the bar 
Um, they are, uh, they probably, because people made a mess in their establishment, decided to beat some heads in because you don't mess with my bar. And uh, I know everybody because everybody pretty much has been in the bar or around the bar's front, which is a laundromat. And so, yeah, I pretty much have interactions with everybody. All right. So all of you are currently uh, meandering about in this holding cell. Anyway, talking? Anybody have anything they want to... Yes. Okay. Sebastian is nursing a bloody nose. I'm probably going to, like, tear off part of my cute little dress. Probably, because I ain't got nothing else. I just go over to him and just... Honestly, it's like you never had a bloody nose before. Like, give me that. Hold on. And I'm just going to, like, shove it, like, up his nose, like, just clean him up a little bit. Like, I do not know what you're doing sometimes. Like, do you even think before you do things? Thinking's no fun. Just gotta do. <laughs> of course, of course. Hold still. Although that said, you really should have, like, look at my, my shirt's much ready. You don't, shouldn't have ripped your dress to bandage me. It's fine, I'll fix it. Hold still, or this will hurt more. Uh, I can't imagine how it already hurts like a puta. There's a shout from across uh, to one of the holding, holding cells as uh, one of the uh, the the Duragar, uh, sort of pumps a fist in the air and begins to uh, pull some winnings across the ground towards him. And the orc sitting across from him lets out a uh, bit of a, a growl as well uh, in in contest to uh, his current winnings. And there's a sort of a tension brewing on that side of the um, the jailhouse. Okay, take a deep breath, and then I'm going to snap Sebastian's nose back in place. Oh, healthy mother. Yeah, with a crack. Uh, and I imagine some blinding white pain. Uh, your nose is, is set. Um, very swollen. Uh, anybody else? Anybody want to play cards? Really? You think that's the best idea after that's what started that whole mess back there? For fun, Sebastian. Hogarth! You want to learn to play? Yes. Great. I'll teach you. It's easy. Deal me in, I'll join you. Enza? I know you're not going to cheat. We'll play for fun. Alright. The first time. Okay, so the three largest figures in the room all sit down and cross view to uh, uh, deal out a hand. Hey, poker. Easy game to learn. Not an easy game to win. I'm going to stop there because I don't actually know how to play poker. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so you deal out Good, some cards. Neither and, do I. Uh, I mean, unless you guys are actually trying to win some money, uh, you you play a few hands of uh, and teach Hogarth how to play. Has Hogarth never played uh, poker before? Hogarth has never played cards before. 
No. Um, Great. Let's start with poker. That seems reasonable. <laughs> I, I want you to tell me a little bit about how uh, how Hogarth might present themselves in trying to learn uh, to play cards in this situation. Like, it, how awkward is this? Uh. Hogarth pretty much they sit there and I mean they take in the information um, just I mean very analytical not really asking questions just sort of waiting for someone to explain what to do I start trying to talk to Hogarth about bluffing <laughs> bluffing it's well it's probably the most important part of the game but I don't think you'd have many tells. <laughs> no, I have been known to have a good poker face. Good. Clove right. is still keeping an eye out to see if any guards walk by or anything like that. Yeah. So you guys play a few uh, a few hands. And uh, about 20, 30 minutes pass. And it's, it's real late right now. Probably about 2.30 in the morning um, currently. And one of the, uh, you hear a, a door open down the hallway and some heavy footsteps uh, as one of the um, GC or uh, GPD officers, go through the police department officers, uh, comes kind of lumbering down the uh, passageway, um, stopping at the holding cells. He bashes on one of the, um, on the cell with the Durgar currently playing dice and says, uh, oh, quiet down in there. Um, and he comes walking past yours. And this is a, a tall guy, not as big as Hogarth, uh, wearing some, um, essentially like uh, a unit, like a black, and um, silver uniform that has these plates set into it, like armor almost. Um, this this hybrid, I guess, between like modern police uniform and uh, and like medieval um, armor. But he walks past your uh, your cell and just casually looking in as he passes. There, nobody's causing a disturbance right now. You guys are being pretty quiet um but he's walking past if you want to do anything close as he walks by um do i recognize this cop at all do i know his name by passing uh you you don't know him but you know his name based on the uh the badge that he's wearing um this is paladin rain paladin rain do you happen to know any idea about how much longer we're gonna be in here i've got Closed that need to be done before the morning. Uh, he stops and turns and looks at you uh, and gives this disgusted look as he's, you know, head tilted backwards, like kind of looking down his nose at you. Um, and he says, We can hold you here for 24 hours. You'll be booked, well, when we get around to it. Well, I can understand that that's a giant inconvenience for you. Is there anything that we can do to help speed up your day and make it a little bit better? Um, he gives you an incredulous look and 
uh, he, he steps forward and he says, what are you getting at? I just, I mean, you've got all these cells full and I can tell that it's just going to be a mountain of paperwork. So if there's any way that we can make this easier on you, we'd love to be able to help you out. Go to make a, uh, I'll let you make a persuasion check. First roll of the campaign. Ah, crap. I Get forgot dice, guys. <laughs> dice, dice, uh, perception. No, persuasion. Ah, I persuasion. don't know what I'm doing. Oh my God. Here we go. Where's it? Sheets. There we go. Sheets. Persuasion. Eh, it's not great, but oh god, that's a six. And I'm back, guys. Ah, <laughs> oh, six. Uh, he he leans in and he says, "Are you trying to bribe an officer of the law?" <laughs> that would be utterly ridiculous. I would I like would... to interject. <laughs> Could I at least get like a handkerchief or something? Like there's so much blood in here. My dress is already ruined. Like, please, can I just get like slightly damp handkerchief or something? Uh, I'll let you make a persuasion trick too. Excellent. That's a 24. Holy crap. <laughs> That's a bit different. Um, he looks around and, and sees the... Uh, I look as pathetic <laughs> as possible. Yeah, well, he sees the blood that's now on your hands from helping your uh, your cousin and... My torn dress. Yeah, uh, and I think you, you see the wheels turning of like, crap, I'm going to have to clean up this mess. Um, and kind of, he sighs a bit. And he says, I'll see what I can do. And he turns and... Thank you. Uh, walks the rest of the way down the hallway looking at the other cells but uh leaves the um the holding area <sighs> i was... walk my eyebrows at club a little bit like that was a little close that was not i that fight threw me off today i'm just not on my game yeah i wonder what some people were thinking making it such a ruckus they were coming at you with a knife what was i supposed to do i didn't see a knife Okay, yeah, because yeah, I took it out of their hand before it was in your back. I know I, I hate just, it, but I have to back Sebastian on this one. I just don't know what I'm going to tell Abuela this time. She's not going to keep believing that you tripped. The family knows what I do, even if they don't want to admit it to themselves. Besides, I think they'd be more upset about you being in jail. I mean, you're, you're the apple of their eye. They don't have to know. Really? You think they're not going to find out? You know how our families gossip. Phone tree. Not, not phone. They don't have phones. The <laughs> <laughs> phone tree. You know how the gossip works. I think it'll be fine. I'll just say I came to get you out. It's fine. I'll figure it out. So, the real question. Are we just going to wait this one out? 24 hours is a long time and my mascara is going to start to run. I can help that. I'd really like to get back to the laundromat. Uh, there is a uh, grinding of um, metal again as the door opens on the hall and you hear uh, pound and rain approaching um, with a uh, a piece of cloth, a little bit dirty, but slightly damp. Uh, and he kind of throws it through the bars towards I you. I, I'll catch it. Yeah. But I'm just like going to do a little curtsy. Make a dexterity saving throw. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do a little curtsy and just be like, 
thank you so much. Like, I'm I'm sorry to ask anything of you. I'm still really busy, but thank you. Uh, you have a visitor. All of you. Looks back uh, down the hall and says, 10 minutes. And uh, goes walking back towards the door and you hear somebody, again, out of eyesight, um, approaching softer footsteps this time. Um, an individual comes into view who many of you recognize. Uh, I think especially Clove. Uh, they are roughly about six feet tall. Um, they have brownish hair that is tinged green like moss. Uh, brownish skin that is cracked and crumbling almost perpetually like dirt. Um, and uh, two brown eyes. Um, an Earth Genasi figure um, named Harin Blackchurch. They are sort of, a, again, you know them in, uh, I think, Clove, you know them the most. They frequent your establishment. Um, sort of a low-level, like, bookie. Um, takes bets and stuff on various, uh, you know, sporting events and random uh, encounters and stuff and, and basically handles that uh, or maintains that sort of business within your establishment. Um, and they come walking up to the bars uh, past Paladin Rain, uh, gives a smile at all of you and says, well, good morning. Is it morning already? Uh, it's getting pretty close. Man, I missed my gig again. Well, I can't say there's much of an atmosphere in the, uh, well, in your joint, uh, clove right now so you're probably good that was they cleared uh, everybody out didn't they yeah yeah no people ran pretty fast once the once the fuzz showed up that's gonna hurt the books well I'm I might be able to help with that I I was there for the fight that was pretty good stuff um Listen, I, I know you all pretty well. You're sort of... You're involved. You do things, get things done. Some of you might have some ambitions beyond rotting in this cell, I assume. I might be able to help you out. In what way? I'll get you out of here. I've come into a bit of money recently. What's in it for you? Well, that was my next point. Uh, for a price. Not so much. More for um, a favor. An arrangement, you might say. I've been working these streets for a few years now. And... Well, like the rest of you, I'm not really going anywhere. It's it's pretty hard to climb up by yourself. Speak for yourself. You can have whatever delusions you want, but without bigger jobs, you're not going to be you're not going to be any more than a low-level street thug for the rest of your life. You were saying, Sebastian. Just saying, let the let the kind of man who's offering to get us out of here talk. 
uh, they st- they kind of lean back and, and cross their arms. He says, good somebody's uh, thinking with their head a bit. For once. He's all mixed up. I'm trying to pay you a compliment here. You're all the, you're the lifeblood of this city. Get shit done. I'm looking to, uh, to back some larger bets. I've made a few connections over the past year with, uh, with the families, people looking for favors. If you're willing to run some jobs for me, help me out, scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. We can share the profits. We all get rich. Some very powerful people will owe us. Pretty good arrangement. I personally like the sound of that. Oh, I do it. As long as I can still run my laundromat, I'm okay. Don't see any reason it would interfere with any of your extracurriculars. How about you, big guy? I am assuming you are speaking to me. Yes. Very well. I believe this suits us nicely. Perfect. And uh, how about you? Looking to you, Enza. What kind of powerful people are you talking about? You share any names or? Um, I can't really give names of any of my current clients, but the idea is to spread out, get a lot of the movers and shakers to owe us a thing or two. Climb the ladder until the big bosses themselves notice. Maybe getting good with uh, some of the patriarchs and uh, matriarch. Sounds reasonable. We'll see. I mean, what do you got to lose? I would have made this offer under better circumstances, but uh, well, I feel like I've Maybe got a little bit of leverage here for you to listen to me. But listen, I'll pay to get you all out. Charges dropped. And uh, why don't you meet me back at the laundromat? We can uh, talk things over there a bit more if you want. Just think about it. Uh, They step away from the cell and um, leave the room. Now, my question is, is that coming from him or is it his master holding his leash who's telling him to do this? It was awful fortuitous. Their breath worked for somebody. That's true. Does it really matter? Not at this juncture, no. Yeah, but if it gets us out quicker... I've got things I'd like to do that don't involve sitting in here all night. Agreed. And I guess technically the deal is he'll get us out and then 
we can talk about it. So we don't really have to decide right now. Hmm. We're still gonna be on the hook for something. Don't don't. Hey. Worst case, Hogarth just stomps on him. I'll sit on him. He's small enough. Between the two of you, I think we've got some leverage. And Enza. I wouldn't cross you if my life depended on it. It's probably for the best. Alright, so about 30 minutes or so pass. And uh, the door opens once again, and you see Paladin Rain uh, walking uh, into the room, maybe looking a bit happier than before. Um, and um, he walks up to the doors and has a slight smirk on his face and looks over all you and says, well, I guess there was a bit of a miscommunication. Looks like you're all free to go. That is wonderful news. Thank you. He, uh, he's already unlocking the cage, not really looking at any of you and then slides the doors open. He says, you can grab your stuff and get out. Thank you. I'm going to drop the wet bloody handkerchief in his hand as I walk away. Just grabs it and sneers at it a bit uh, as you leave the room and head into the um, the booking area for the Gothard Police Department um, station. You're given your possessions again. They're sl- uh, slid across the counter towards you. All any weapons uh, or other valuables that you might have had with you when you entered. Um, and you are all free to go as you step out uh, from the large kind of imposing building in the center of Upper Gothford. Um you begin to walk down the steps and uh, the city is pretty quiet right now. Uh, there are the, there's the uh, sort of wind kicking up the debris and, and uh, any trash and litter left on the ground, uh, swirling it down the, the alleyways. Um, you hear the sound of um, dogs barking in the distance and uh, the occasional engine is a, um, a car passes down one of the side streets um, and you are left to your own devices. That's not the music I want to go for. There we go. It's a bit more. All right. I start heading for the laundromat just directly just because I got to go and see how much I need to clean up. Get it back up and running. Well, I'm way past beauty sleep at this point. Should we go for a drink? Maybe I could get a few coins or something. You're all welcome at the joint, whenever. Gonna run home, change out of these rags, but then I'll meet you back at the joint, help clean up. I'd better go that mess. Smooth things over with everyone. For us coming in so late. I will join you, Clove. I believe I could make myself useful. Thank you, Hogarth. Okay. I probably got nothing better to do. Sure, my mark left town after I spooked him. 
So I'll go with you, Cole. All right. Uh, so Cordelia, Hogarth, Enza, and Clove heading back to the laundromat. You um, are you just walking? Um, grab a taxi. Grab a uh, use the subway. Actually, I don't think the subway goes across the river. But oh, so we're in Upper. You're in Upper Gothford right now. Okay. Uh, it's probably about a about an hour walk. Walk? Yeah. No, I totally take a taxi. I'll, yeah, hopefully there's one that fits me. <laughs> <laughs> and Hogarth and Enza. We I'll squeeze in. Uh, ooh, that's going to be a tight fit. <laughs> um, but the I think there's a cab that pulls up. Uh, it takes a little bit because there aren't too many on the street right now take, uh, taking fare. And uh, you wave one down. Uh, uh, the cab pulls up. The The cars themselves in the city, uh, or most of the cars, uh, are sort of like a cross between a, a Model T and a um, kind of your classic like carriage. Um, they got a pretty good amount of space in the back. They're propelled by uh, these sort of arcane powered engines um, uh, that are stationed near the, the front of the wagon and the, the driver that is sort of on top of this um, uh, raised like bench near the, near the front. And as it kind of lumbers to a halt, uh, pulls on the brake and looks over uh, at your group and says... Where are you looking to go? Clove's laundry joint. Uh, where's that at? I'm not familiar with the location. <sighs> it's over in uh, Forsar Heights. All right. Get in, if you can all fit. Yeah, I, I squeeze in that if there's a front seat, that's where I squeeze into. Okay. Um, yeah, you, you kind of all push yourselves into the the carriage. I let everyone uh, else get in, and then I'm like, who wants to sit with me? <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's three very large figures, and then you just find a nice little uh, place to, to squeeze in. Um, okay, so you guys begin making your way to Farsaw Heights. Um, the, the cousins, uh, Pilar and uh, Sebastian, the two of you are heading to... Uh, to your family home? I was yes. just planning to oh. go to my apartment. Oh, well, then I'm just going with him to his apartment. I okay. Guess. Um, I want to, since you're going to your apartment, I kind of want to play that out. So where's your uh, apartment located? Uh, also in Farsaw Heights. Um, you know, oh, not, yeah, not too far away from Clove's Laundry Joint, actually, uh, but still across the river. Um They'd, they'd probably wait for another taxi to come by. Much easier to fit in just two half elves. Yeah. Okay. So you guys grab another taxi and head over to the uh, to your apartment. Um, those of you that are heading to close laundry joint, um, the total fare for your trip is uh, two gold pieces. Or sorry. No, not two gold. That'd be way too expensive. Uh, five silver. I was like, I'll pay it black. I yeah. got it. I'm going to keep up a real good conversation with our taxi driver, see if I can get that fare down a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah, so your taxi driver, I'll say, is a, uh, it's a human. Um, sort of an older man, uh, pretty rotund, uh, 
a life of sitting um and he uh he looks back or uh, is is uh not really paying too much attention to you as you get in the fair or get in the cab and he begins to drive after taking your um getting the directions um so what do you do basically just make really nice conversation like what are you doing up so early i'm so sorry that we have to bother you and just like be real friendly okay um go ahead and make a uh make a persuasion check excellent um that's a 22 22 that's pretty good uh so i think he probably he probably softens up a bit um is really kind of tired and and just detached uh, when you first get in the car. But um, you begin to, uh, I think the conversation steers towards uh, maybe his, his family and begins to talk about, uh, you know, his kids and uh, is is sort of uh, begins to open up uh, when that, when the subject fears that way. And so when you get there, I'd say that, gets your fare down to we'll say two silver. Excellent. Um, and you pull up outside of Seb's apartment. What what does your apartment building look like? The apartment building is um, I'm trying to think what a reasonable number of stories is, but he is probably up on the top floor, whatever it is. Um, but it's barely run down not in like danger of tipping over but it's not a super nice place he's mostly just there to sleep okay Uh, but you know very creaky stairs some leaky pipes um it's not fun every time pilar or cordelia is over there like how do you live here uh and then the apartment itself i assume is a representation of that or is a is similar in that regard for the most part he tries to make it a little nicer uh you go in there's a beat-up piano in a corner um there's you know one or two house plants that are mostly dead although there is one flower by the windowsill that gets the most sunlight possible and it's looking pretty okay but um you know the equivalent of Chinese takeout containers scattered around. Um, it's mostly a mess right now. And I will immediately start cleaning and watering <laughs> the plants and like moving them around. I was just here three days ago. I don't know how it looks two weeks more dead. Uh, you know, I've never had much of a green thumb. No, you certainly have a red face though. Yeah, and he just goes into the bathroom, turns on the sink, starts cleaning up just at this point his shirt that he has is mostly rags so just takes it off goes and searches for another one and uh, you know as he takes it off his torso is just covered in various religious iconography so symbols of various religions deities etc so you know you see like an ankh and eye of horus um i should know some other symbols um but yeah, pretty much any any religious symbol you can think of, it's on his body somewhere. Okay. Um. So, it, it, unless there's anything else you guys need to uh, need to do while you're there, you go in, you clean a bit, um, frantically. It looks to... so much nicer when we leave. Yeah, yeah. Um, a little yeah, bit. Then, uh, <laughs> yeah. So. After tidying up, they just walk over to the laundry joint. It's not that far from there. No, that's not. Um, you can be over there in about five minutes, ten minutes from where you're at. Yeah. Um, okay, so 
the rest of you arrive at Clove's uh, laundry joint, which uh, the street outside the building is quiet, uh, unlike when you left. Uh, the police have since uh, abandoned the location, and there are a few people that are kind of mulling about in the in the dark there, uh, smoking a cigarette or uh, finishing off a drink as you approach uh, Clove. And um, I guess, so it's it's a laundromat or a laundry joint out front. Um, I guess if you want to kind of describe the process when you're entering and what it, what it looks like. So the front is a whitewashed building with kind of late 18th century, early 19th or yeah, 1900s architecture. So it's it's white columns that kind of arch at the top. And there's like, it's a three window front place with a door at the top where the arch is. It's kind of like the stained glass, paned glass, like mm-hmm. all done. Um, and you look in the windows and there's a counter and all of the, the apparatus for the laundry mats there. Um, racks and racks of clothes kind of on this payer, uh, conveyor system over the top. Um, there's a door behind the counter and uh, that's what you see from the front. As you go in, you can walk past the counter. Everybody speaks the um, code word and can go in through that door. That door leads to a back office and then there's a curtain and behind the curtain is stairs to um, downstairs to the actual um, bar, which is behind there. Um, in the, on the other side of the office though, is also stairs to go upstairs to my apartment Mm -hmm. where I live. Um, but so that's, that's kind of how the front looks. Okay. So here's what I'll ask as far. It's, it's Mm -hmm. like four in the morning right now, three, three 30 in the morning. Um, you have, you have some people, uh, some younger people that take care of the establishment for you. Um, children or teenagers Mm or how young are we talking? Yeah, they're probably, I think they're probably, they start, they can work the counter once they're about anywhere 15 on, um, but people will help clean actual clothing. I start at probably 11 if they're mature enough. Okay. So when you get there, I assume, so it, the, it died down a bit when you guys mm-hmm. left. Of course, the police showed up. There's a big fight. So, so, but I assume there's somebody to kind of get things back up and running um, yeah. after a bit. Yeah. Um, do you have the sort of right hand person or somebody that runs it when you're gone? Now that you're saying this, yes, I've totally done that. I've created this person in not right now. Uh, <laughs> let's say they're, uh, yeah, let's say it's um, one of the former orphans from the orphanage that is now, I don't know, let's go with like 19, 20 years old. And it's a girl. Her name is Samantha, and she's the one who takes care of my, my place when I'm not there. Okay. The laundromat um, side of things. Let's do that. Uh, human, human dwarf. Human? human. Okay. Um, so human girl, Samantha, um, she is uh, currently behind the counter. Um, and as you, as you step in and uh, kind of not the door, there's one of your, uh, one of the orphans opens the slat and uh, takes the, the password from you mm-hmm. uh, and you go uh, walk in and it's back up and running not a lot of patrons in there right now uh, but maybe eight or ten um, that are currently mulling about having a drink mm-hmm. um, but it is currently um, currently in business I'm going to get my uh, speakeasies sound effects coming on 
There we go. Um, so as you all make your way inside and begin to, what do you guys do once you get there? I go and I check around just to make sure everything looks cleaned up. I'll go to the back entrance, um, to the alley, make sure the alley's cleaned up, that there's mm-hmm. not crap all around. Um, you know, pull out any, if any chairs got broken, I probably have some supply in a back room of <laughs> extra chairs. Cause I'm used to seven, everybody hanging out and yeah, I kind of clean up. Okay. Yeah. I think the, the back door is, is closed and, and chained and it's in one piece uh, outside in the alleyway. It's a bit messy. Um, there are some like garbage cans that got knocked over and uh, some trash that's scattered around the alleyway a bit. Um, still hasn't been totally cleaned up. Uh, you can maybe send a couple of the uh, orphans out there to, uh, to take care of that if you'd wish. Um, sounds worse when I say it that way. They're paid I empl- labor. I, yes, I employ them. <laughs> I pay them well because I... Yes, it's good. I'm not... You're, a- their, <laughs> you're their foster mom and they exactly. also, and also their employer. Um I will help uh, help Clove as needed. If there's anything in like the main kind of area, I'm just like mage handing, picking things up, kind of setting them right. Okay, yeah, that I'm using your yeah. It makes it much easier. Uh, anything Hogarth and Enza do once they get there? Grab a drink, uh, just chill. Oh, I've probably cleaning the floor if there's a mop or something or a broom i've got that uh so hogarth takes to cleaning enza that's simultaneously adorable and like somehow terrifying <laughs> <laughs> i was like probably just gonna watch hogarth maybe give us some tips has he cleaned before <laughs> that's yes. ever clean. okay, oh, okay. <laughs> all right so like no probably watches him for a minute and then it's like okay he's actually doing all right uh, and then maybe go get a drink of water from the bar. All right. After like a few minutes, I start mage handing drinks out of the bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the clove, one of the patrons, while you are uh, kind of getting things ready, you get back behind the counter, and Samantha sort of turns it back over to you and gets back to to her duties a bit. Uh, there is a patron that comes over and. Um, says uh elven man probably a little bit younger uh wears a sort of a red satin suit which is a bit dingy on the uh, on the edges um his name is uh terwin and uh, he's a pretty uh, regular customer at the establishment he comes up and he says so uh everything everything all right no, just another typical evening at the, at the laundry joint. Yeah, uh, I got out of here just before the uh, well, the trouble showed up. Um, I'm glad to see everything's one piece. I, I thought this place was raided. I thought it was going to be closed up, boarded up, shut. Um, I was getting kind of kind of worried about that. Uh, I need a I need a drink. Um, yeah, what do you? What would you like? Uh, uh, do you? Do you have another mana shipment in? Yes, I do. Let me let me go ahead and get you a drink. What do you want it mixed with? Uh, just whiskey. Okay. And I go back 
into the back room and I make the drink because it's not out. And then I come back out. All right. Um, and I wait to be paid before I hand the drink over. <laughs> he does. He does pay you. Uh, I'm trying to say how we're going to do payment for your yeah, yeah. for your bar. Um, I like. I think for the general bar, like I, I don't want to track that one, but I kind of feel like the mana stuff is a little bit more. So yeah. So what we're gonna do, we'll come up with a mechanic of how much you have and sell, and and so we can track your spending and stuff for this one. So uh, we'll go and said he pays. I said how much? How much do you charge for, uh, for mana at your establishment? <laughs> So I'm betting a whiskey would be like two silver. So let's go for mana. Let's let's make it a ten. ten, ten no, the ten silver is a gold, right? Yes. Yeah. No. Let's say let's say one gold. Let's say a gold. Okay. So uh, one gold for a drink, um, and he he takes it. And so you you have the the whiskey, the the dark alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, from from what we see, it's it it has the same dark color, but is um, giving off this sort of glow to it. Um, bubbles forming, almost like um, carbonation in the beverage, and it's diluted a bit, where it's maybe a bit lighter color. There's no color to mana itself, um, but it it gives a sort of this. Uh, phosphorescence and carbonation to the beverage just naturally. Um, uh, as you you slide across bar, he pays you for it and heads to his uh, his seat to sip on his drink. I uh, pull up to probably what I'm assuming is one of the other bartenders who's there. Let's call them Billy. Uh, <laughs> I'm making these. Yeah. <laughs> How many has he had tonight? Of uh, of whiskey, or or the whiskey? Huh, huh. Okay, uh, the that's the first one. Okay, okay. We don't. We kept it locked shut after uh, shut tight after you left. Okay, thank you. Just did it. if anybody else comes to look and let me know. We'll do, boss. Um, and you, I've got to write down Billy as an NPC now. Um, I'm totally writing it down as well. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, so you, um, you tend to the bar and everything is cleaned up. I think at this point, Sebastian and Pilar arrive, join the group. And around the same time or shortly after, uh, Harin also arrives, uh, sees all of you, makes a, uh, friendly smile and a wave and kind of gestures towards the table that they go and sit at and wait for you in due time. So they arrive to discuss business. I was like just pulling out my violin to like make it a little bit more fun in here. Fine, I'll put it back away and I'll come <laughs> sit at the table. So y'all go and uh, talk business with Harn. I bring over a whiskey first. Yeah, I bring over a tray of drinks for everybody, knowing what everybody wants, except Hogarth, because I think this is the first time Hogarth's actually like stayed for any long period of time in the bar. I want to go over this. What is everyone's drink of choice? Whiskey. Straight. 
three of the fruitiest, most colorful drinks, each with its own little umbrella. <laughs> All right. Something not too dehydrating. <laughs> so, I don't know. Frozen was a drink alcohol. Uh, I, does does uh, I guess my question is: Does Pilar drink? Um, yeah. Babe, yes. Yes. Okay. As long as it's like something like probably something really gentle, so that she could sing after. I don't know how alcohol works. I order for Pilar most of the time. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I'm gonna a daiquiri frozen. There you go. Yes. Thank you. All right. Clove's always got a a glass of either sangria or a uh, old fashioned, depending on how they want to feel that night. Okay. And then Enzo was drinking water. Does she not drink? Uh, she's probably switching to, to alcohol now. Okay. Like a uh, liquor or beer or, uh, I don't know. Beer, I guess. <laughs> Morgan and me over here. Just like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm trying to get, <laughs> alcohol, get back to you. I, I only bring up this to get like insights into people's personalities and stuff. And then I realize for people that don't drink, you don't maybe understand like personality that comes into different types of drinks. Um, but that is fine. So everybody has a tray of drinks. This was the wrong question to uh, to RP. <laughs> and then Hogarth, I assume, doesn't drink? Correct. Okay. Uh, Wait, doesn't drink silent. anything or just doesn't drink? Hogarth doesn't drink. Uh, so you, uh, you all sit down at the table and Harden, uh, looks around over all of your faces and says, well, I'm, I'm glad to see that, uh, everyone decided to take me up my, or at least discuss our, uh, arrangement. So I've got a, it pulls out sort of a, a ledger and flips through some paces says, I've got some work in here. If you're interested in it, um, got a few jobs. You take one, you can take all of them. You work them, come back. I relay the information or uh, make the arrangements for it. You get a sizable cut considering the number of you. And I take a modest finder's fee of um, 15% off the top. Wait, 15? Yeah, 15 Well, that seems a bit extreme. I mean, I'm doing a lot of legwork here, sticking my neck out. Reading your taking, book, sitting in well, a bar. I'm, I'm taking on the burden. If, if something goes wrong here, it's on it's on me. I would like to use my medallion of thoughts to try and get his surface thoughts, see if he's gouging us for the 15%. That's kind of Teamwork! Uh, yeah. So with, with the tech thoughts, I'm pretty sure um, it's... You know, I can use my medallion and it just gets the surface thoughts and that I just get, but it can be fairly vague. And there's a thing yeah. where if I can... Uh, you can push for something specific. Yeah, um, and then he makes the save. But, um, okay. So I'll say it is pretty much on their mind right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is uh, what is going through their head and the, the, the pricing and, and stuff. Um, so I think you, you hear in their mind, it says... I could go down to 10, but that's about as far as I could go. Okay, now Alex is trying to do some quick math here to do something that sounds reasonable. So let's see, there are six of us. 
if I got him down to, he takes 12%, that leaves 88 among six. And that, that's even numbers, but I don't know how nicely that splits <laughs> up. Um, that's 14 and two thirds for the rest of us, which isn't very nice. Uh, I'm trying to do nice even it math. It would be so much cleaner if you just took 10%, because 90 is divisible by six. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I would actually say that. It's like, well, you know, um, obviously you want your cut and it's important that you get your cut, but think of the math. If you took 15%, that leaves 85 to split six ways. That's not very nice and neat. But if you took just 10, well, that leaves a much cleaner cut for the rest of us. Also, 15% is disproportionately large for Gothford taxes. Hogarth is right. <laughs> uh, I want... I want Sebastian to make a persuasion check with advantage because Hogarth assisted there. Uh, and then I think well, while you're doing that, he uh, just looks over to you. Hogarth says, you pay taxes. I am aware was, of the tax rates. That was advantage and that's a six persuasion. I rolled a two and a five. I'm embarrassed we are no longer family. <laughs> I can go down to 13%. That is very generous of you, but let me let me propose something to you. I know that you say that you are going to be the one to take the fall for if anything goes wrong, but it is our faces who are going to be out and about doing these things. I really don't think there's much risk for you if we're the one doing if you're doing the legwork. The handwork? Handiwork. Yeah. Nailed it. Uh I think he says no. I'm not trying to underplay the fact that something goes wrong out there. Obviously, your asses are the ones on the fire. I totally understand that. And I'm here and will maintain a uh, a trust for all of us uh, in the eventuality that you get in trouble with the law. I can help out a bit with that. But don't underplay the fact that you might be all out there worrying about evading the GPD. I've got to worry about four pretty bad people on my own in groups. And they're the ones that are going to rain down hell on me if something goes wrong. So I think 13% sounds pretty fair. I think you'll take 12 or you'll take nothing. All right, 12. Deal? I just want to get to work. You and your books. Fantastic. 12%. And you get your 88% to split amongst the rest of you. Still a pretty penny, and it's gonna continue to go. The deal is made. Let's not make a bunch of drama. All right, all right. Well, like I said, I got I got four jobs lined up, and you can take any of them you want. Um, You know, probably better to take one at a time. See how it goes. See if this arrangement's gonna gonna work out. Okay. 
So I have one from my, a contact in each of the four families. Uh, he flips a few pages and uh, stops at one. Contact of mine, uh, looking to, well, rough up or, or shake down a tailor over in the Farsaw, oh, here in Farsaw Heights. Uh, owes a bit of money to the Zartano. Hasn't paid his, uh, his rent lately. Um, just need to go there, send him a message. Simple as that. Do that, get him to pay up. Uh, 85 gold pieces in it for the seven of us. Got uh, another one. One of the Nurian is looking to get a detective on the payroll. Uh, all you got to do is find someone, find out what their price point is. Do that, get a little bit of uh, get a little bit good standing with the Nurian and uh, sixty gold pieces out of it. This one's a delivery job. Flips a few pages for the Calbits. They're looking to transport a man from the uh, docks to in West Circle over to a, uh, Riley's bookstore up in uh, Upper Gothford. Uh, 77 gold pieces in it for that. And last one from the Mephistosi. Uh, looks like there was a uh, Lord Wingate who uh, died recently uh, over in uh, Upper Gothford. They just want somebody to look in on the investigation, find out uh, some more information on the cause of death. Um, that one's only paying 25 gold pieces. Uh, with my connection with the Mephistosi, would I have heard that name before? Lord Wingate? Yes. Um, any bells? Make a history check. History. All right. Let's. Because I'm so good at history. Well, that is a three. <laughs> uh, <laughs> never heard the name before. Got it. I'm assuming I know who the rent collector is for uh, the first one. For the Zartano? Because mm -hmm. I'm betting a... I pay rent to that guy. <laughs> uh, the Yeah, so the, the person that you pay rent to, well, I'm going to say it changes. There isn't one debt collector for the Zartano. Um, they, they cycle them uh, in and out to sort of prevent any sort of bias or... Uh, insider dealing uh, so the the debt collector could be any number of people well uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a leap here Sean and say that I probably know the tailor because yeah um, you I, I think he tells uh, did I say the name I don't mm -hmm. think I said the name yet um, he tells you the name of the uh, name of the poor bastard is uh, Wendell Frank uh, actually the shop is uh, only a couple blocks over from here, um, and you are familiar with uh, with the individual. Um, sort of a quiet guy has a small shop uh, that it runs out of his own home uh, over off of uh, well a few streets over from yours. Um, not really much to speak of. Sort of a 
little uh, sort of mousy um, halfling uh, gentleman. How much uh, is his rent in arrears? Oh, uh, flips through. He says, looks like he's got a cough up about 250 gold. Yeah. I know him. We can go and see if we can scare him a little bit. I don't, you know, or maybe just help him out to shake his pockets out a little bit. I know his shop's doing good. People bring in stuff he's fixed to me all the time to clean, so. All right. Well, uh, find out what the holdup is then and uh, get back to me. Uh, if you can either you can collect the payment on the spot, that would be great. We can go ahead and deliver it to the right people. If not, if you can get some sort of promissory note or something, uh, something showing that he's going to he's going to do uh, what he's what he said he's going to do, then that should be enough. All right. Okay with this. Seemed like a good first go. Yeah, I think the delivery also sounds very much like something we could do. One down by the docks. Yeah, sounds I agree with that. And uh, knowing mana suppliers is not exactly bad for me. All right. Well, which one do you want to take first? The tailor is closer. Well, it's also what 4 a.m. He usually doesn't open up shop until closer to eight. So I mean, I think we could do the docks one if everybody. I should probably get some shut eye here, at least for a couple hours. But that sounds fine. So we'll go home, get some shut eye, meet at the tailor at eight. Then hit the docks after. Can do. Excellent. Well, uh, looks like we got a we got our business up and running. Then he closed the ledger. Um, says, "I'm gonna stick around here and have another drink. Um, you're all welcome to join me. I understand if you don't want to, but just let me know when you get the job done. I'll do my part." Seb is gonna stick around for a bit because he has three drinks to get through. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like to play cards? Um, I think he uh, he leans back. He says, never really been much of a gambler myself. Made too much money on bad bets from other people. Seems right. When you're betting on us, you might want to rethink that bad bet policy. I speak for yourself. Well, we'll just have to see. I'll stay. Starting small. Have a drink. Um, so you stay, have a couple drinks until things get real dead, uh, basically <laughs> right before the sun comes up and, uh, you all head off to, uh, get some sleep. Now, if you're going to meet at 8am, none of you are getting a full night's sleep, um, at this point. Cause it's probably about five o'clock in the morning right now. Yeah, I realized that, but a little better than none. <laughs> Do you guys still want to meet at eight o'clock? Short in the rest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's again trying to do math. Will we be exhausted if we don't? There's a good chance. (laughs) Well, actually, thinking it over, it would probably make more sense for us to do it with the long rest because we're not going to do a delivery of illegal goods in the middle of the day, are we? So, 
Isn't that what they would least expect? That is true, but... <laughs> we should probably sleep. Yeah, yeah we should sleep. All right. It's like, we'll meet at 8, and it's like 12. And we yeah. all start drinking. Like, yeah, exactly. Just like college. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to show up with Starbucks, like sunglasses on, like, oh my god. <laughs> all right. Uh, so you all head back to your... Uh, respective establishment. Some of you having to travel a bit further to get home uh, than others. I think I will go to Seb's apartment and sleep on his disgusting couch and just call home. Be like, I'm hanging out with Seb. It's fine. Don't even fret. <laughs> all right. So you all head uh, off to get your long rest, and you can certainly do that. Um, I know it's a little bit early, but I want to go and take a break here. Um, so that we don't have to interrupt anything else. feels like a good kind of stopping point. Um, so let's uh, take a break. We'll be back in our classic 10 to 15 minutes, um, and we'll pick back up with the uh, rest of our session. Woo! <laughs>